morning, everyone. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us. Uh, many of you are here with us in person, and there's many more uh, watching online. We're so glad you're with us. Wanted to let you know about a couple of quick announcements I have. We have drive-through communion today from 5 to 7 in the portico, and we would love to see you. Um, and I want to let you know you can bring a benevolence gift to that if you would like to. There's a lot of people that come to the church daily uh, needing assistance during the pandemic. Wanted to let you know we have great journey groups and Sunday school classes that are online. Um, you, can, you can check those out on the website or on the church app. Um, youth and kids have been back in person for a couple of months now. The kids have been meeting on Wednesday nights outside in the portico in the green space. And the youth have been out here in the courtyard on Wednesday nights. And we just have a great time. And i got to be honest with you. When we end up moving back inside, I'm going to miss it. I love being outside with the youth and kids. It's a blast. And here's our really exciting announcement. You're going to love it. Trunk or Treat is happening October 25th. It's a little different than our normal Fall Fest. But on October 25th, it's going to be from 2 to 4 at the home of Mark and Allison Casey. There's going to be hot dogs, a petting zoo. We're going to have some great animals out there. And the kids are just going to have a blast. If you want to help and have your vehicle there with some candy in your trunk. Catherine Barnes, would you raise your hand so everybody can see who you are? So let Catherine Barnes know that you want to do that, and it's going to be a great time. We would love to have you be there. If you're watching online, you might not know who Catherine Barnes is. You can message the church Facebook page. We'll connect you with her. We want to make sure that you help as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Loving God, we are so thankful that we are able to join together, whether it's online or in person. We're thankful that we can worship together. We pray that right now you'll help us focus our hearts and our minds on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning as we worship, I invite you to stand together as we sing hymn 374, Standing on the Promises.
Would you remain standing and join us for the affirmation of faith? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Miss Catherine, if you will stand, I think it's time for our children to go to Children's Church today. If anybody wants to go to Children's Church, follow Catherine and Elizabeth as they head that way. In the meantime, let me thank you for joining us today in worship. If you're joining us online, I want to wave to you. Let us know something in the comments that you're worshiping with us. We like to see that. And if you have a prayer request, you can let us know that too. Because we do pray for you, and I hope that you pray for us. Uh, we are connected whether we're worshiping in person or whether we are having to stay at home. And that's something that we've learned this year, is that connection is strong, even if we can't see each other's faces. So I want you to know that as you give um, and support your church, here is what you're doing. You're helping us. Uh, we have hundreds of people a month that come through our soup kitchen, our ladle of love on Fridays that we feed lunch to. We have hundreds of people that come through our closed closet and our other missions that we, serve, uh, that we support. So I know that you could give to just about anything and, and do be generous with, with everything, but don't forget about your church. You can give online, you can drop your offering in the plate, you can drop it in the mail. And I just want to thank you for doing that. It does not go unnoticed, and we appreciate every bit of it. Uh, our prayer requests, like I said, you can, you can drop a prayer request in the offering plate. You can email us, fumc at fumcgadston.org, and you can let us know, and we will make sure that we get that to our prayer ministry team. I want to invite you at this time, wherever you are, just join with me as we bow before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this beautiful fall day. We give you thanks for all of the transitions in our lives that the fall of the year reminds us. The beautiful colors and the cool weather is just a blessing. It makes us want to, to be outside and breathe the fresh air. At the same time, God, we know that as we count our blessings, we also count our sorrows uh, because we do have needs that we bring before you. We inwardly sorrow knowing that we fail you in so many ways and we need your healing and your forgiveness for that. So renew us and heal us and revive us spiritually, Lord, 
as individuals, as, as a church and a community and as a nation. God, we, we have people that we know and love that are struggling right now. They're, they're suffering, they're grieving, they are carrying burdens that feel too heavy to, to bear. But God, we know that you are able to make all things work together for the good of those who love you and call or are called according to your purpose. We know that you can do that. We know that you are the great physician and that, and that you can heal us, Lord, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. So we come to you as our healer. Pour out your grace upon us today. Pour out your grace on those who are sitting here and those who are worshiping at home, on those that we know and love that are struggling right now, that are grieving right now over losses they have sustained. Father, pour out your grace on those who need healing from this coronavirus. Lord, from, from each person, from our president and our first lady to our leaders in the Congress to those anonymous faces that, that don't get any recognition, that don't have good health care coverage, and those who serve them on the front lines are health care workers. Father, we pray for all of them. We, our whole nation needs your healing right now. Our whole world needs your healing right now. So be the great physician for us, we pray. And teach us to pray the prayer that you have taught your disciples when you said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
I want to thank you, Benny, and thank you, Rhonda. Our church is blessed to have gorgeous musical instruments and people who really know how to play them, and it makes uh, it makes a world of difference. It just uh, it it really feeds your heart, and and I'm so appreciative of it. I'm appreciative of you for for being here today, and I'm appreciative of you at home that you are worshiping with us today, wherever you are. If you're worshiping from home, I hope that you're sitting out on the back porch uh, because it's a beautiful day. And uh, it, it kind of makes me feel good to think that you might be doing that. Uh, we're looking at um, the book of Job all month long. Uh, we're looking at the book of Job. And I have uh, something that I don't usually carry around with me today, but I might start carrying this everywhere I go now. I have to tell you what this is. This is, my, uh, this is my language horn. Whenever I'm tempted to say ugly words, I go and do that instead. And uh, it came in handy yesterday. I just about wore it out when I was watching the Auburn game. Whew, that was a rough one. Um, but I brought it today because that's the way we all have felt like. Uh, we squeak in that language horn a lot because 2020 has been that kind of year. And um, so we're going to look at Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22 this morning. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. People have had different ways over the years of expressing the thought that they have just had all they can take. They've just, they can't take anymore. It's just, um, and that's why I'm, I've, I brought this. So I, when I was growing up, I watched Popeye the Sailor Man. Anybody else watch Popeye growing up? Popeye was always doing something, and he had his nemesis, Bluto. Bluto was this big bully who was always doing something to Popeye, and he was always after olive oil, which was the love of Popeye's life. And so he was, you know, not only his nemesis just in life, but he, he was his nemesis in romance, too, which you just don't. You know, that's just about more than a man can take. And so Bluto would do against Popeye, and he would do something against the olive oil, and he would just do that, and all it just all built up until Popeye couldn't take it anymore. And then he would say, that's all I can stand because I can't stand no more. And then he would open up a can of spinach, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? He'd open up a can of spinach, and then he would open up a can of <laughs> on Bluto, right? So when I was growing up, I would just take all I could take and then I would say, that's all I can stand because I can't stand no more. And when I was a teenager, there was this movie that was out called Network. And it, was, you know, it wasn't a super great movie or anything like that, but it had this iconic character in there. His name was Howard Beale. And it was all about the pressure of network TV. And my wife, Tammy, can tell you about that. She used to work for a TV station 
and it's, it's always stressful during the broadcast and during rating season. Are you kidding me? Everyone is so stressed out. They, it's just because it's so important. If you get good ratings, then everybody's happy. If you don't get good ratings, then everybody wants to jump out the window. And so this is the pressure cooker that the network had, and Howard Beale was an anchor, and, and he was stressed out to the match. They got bad ratings, right? And he was just, he couldn't take it anymore. And he just had a breakdown right on TV, on, on air in front of everybody. He went off of the teleprompter and he went into this long speech about how things were terrible and he just couldn't take it anymore. And he said right there on air, he said, I'm mad as and I just can't stand it anymore. And then he said, to all of you out there watching me on television, I want you to get up right where you are. I want you to get up out of your chair and I want you to go to the window and I want you to raise the window and I want you to scream out the window. I'm mad as and I'm not going to take this anyway. Has anybody, did anybody see that? Can you, I can just visualize that now. People around New York City raising their windows and sticking their head out and screaming out to the world. I don't know if you've done that lately. Maybe you did that this morning before you came to church. But um, we've all felt like that. We've all felt like I can't take one more thing. I really just can't take one more thing. I can't tell you how many parents that I've talked to that just, well, these days we don't, we don't necessarily say like Popeye did or like uh, the network did. These days we say something like, I'm over it. I'm just, I'm done. I'm over it. And I've had parents tell me, you know what? I'm over being a homeschool teacher. I didn't sign up for this. That's why I didn't go into education. I didn't want to teach my little darlings. I'm around them all the time. I can't take it anymore. Or, or people just say, I'm over not being able to do fill in the blank. I'm over wearing these things. I'm, I'm, just, over, I'm just over it. Um, when our kids went off to college in August, they, there's various different protocols and different colleges and things like that, but um, there was a video that was going around and um, it showed pictures of, of college students getting together like college students like to do and, and having a good time and getting real close to each other like college students like to do. And they were in restaurants, and they were in bars, and they were in fraternity and sorority houses, and they were all having a big time not paying any attention to wearing a mask or anything like that. And they were showing picture after picture after picture in this college town, and there was a little song that was in the background. And the little song went something like this. COVID's not over just because you're over it, right? which is true. Just because we're over it, just because we can't stand no more, doesn't mean that it's over. So that brings up two really important truths that are true at the same time. You know, more than one can, thing can be true at the same time. Thing number one that's true is we're all just about over this. We've all stood about all we could stand. And truth number two is it's not over. It's not over. We don't know when it will be. 
Um, so I think that's why we need more than ever to learn about suffering, to learn about just really going through it from one of the oldest books in the Bible, the book of Job. And I think we need to learn from maybe the poster child of suffering, Job himself. Because Job was over it. He had too many things happen to him. But it wasn't over yet. There was still more, more to do. So all this month we're going to look at Job. We're going to learn what we can learn about suffering and see how God uses our pain to reshape us. Today is World Communion Sunday. Uh, and the fact that we're not celebrating right here at this altar like we normally would is, is a testimony to what we're going through in 2020. I will just take a, a moment to, Pastor Andy mentioned before, I will take a moment to invite all of you to come and to join us for drive-through communion. I know it's not the same. I know it's not the same, but we are doing the best we can with what we have to do with. We can't take communion like we normally would, so we're doing drive-through communion. And uh, so that'll be down at the portico from five to seven, drive-through, um, and we'll see you there. But we normally think of communion on World Communion Sunday as a shared meal together. We normally think of it as the bread and the cup. But suffering is also communion. And I want you to think about that. Suffering is communion because it's something that we all share together. Several years ago, I was watching a, a, a video preparing for a study together. It was done by Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. Do any of y'all remember that book? It was out, uh, well, several years ago now. But he was talking in this video, and he said something, and I had kind of, uh, my attention had wandered off, but he said something, this really made my attention perk up. He said this, he said, God loves you and has a painful plan for your life. And I said, what? You had me up to the part of pain. Uh, you know, I, I know God loves me, and I know God has a plan for my life, but does it include pain? Does it include suffering? And I thought for a second, and I thought, you know, yeah, it does. And God's plan for our life, including pain and suffering, doesn't mean that God is mean and that God is cruel. It means that God knows that there's something about suffering and something about pain that builds something into us that we can't get any other way, that teaches us a lesson that we can't learn any other way. And it's something that we, when we experience together, it, it, it creates something that the Bible calls is the Greek word koinonia, and it means the sharing. It means fellowship. It means the suffering that binds us together. You see it all the time. You see it all the time when you see a group of military veterans that get together. And they swap old war stories and they, and they talk about things, common experience that they've shared. And maybe they didn't go off to war together, but they all experienced something similar. And so they just, just have this tie, right? This communion that, that binds them together. You see it when you have people that, that gather together and maybe they played on the same sports team. They played on the same sports team back in the day and they'll get together and talk about all their, or they went to, went to college together. They made it through law school together or they 
are they, you know, worked the same job and, and the boss was a real turkey and they all kind of struggled through it together. But it's a suffering that binds people together. It's a fellowship in the sense that we're all fellows in the same ship. We're in this boat together and therefore we're connected whether we want to be or not, we are. And it's the suffering that does that. It's a fellowship. Suffering is real communion also because it doesn't just connect us with each other. It also connects us to Christ because Christ was the suffering servant. Uh, Christ suffered in this world and, and Christ said to his followers, he said, in this world you'll have tribulation. You'll have tribulation in this world. Why? Well, it just comes along with life, but also it comes along with following Jesus. Because we live in a, a worldly system that is hostile toward God. That, that doesn't just ignore God, but is hostile toward God and God's kingdom. And that's, what, that's why when we hear somebody say, well, that's just the way of the world. I don't know, you've probably heard somebody say that. That's just the way of the world. And they usually say that just in resignation to that's just the way the system works. It, it just kind of tramples the little guy or... Or that's the way that, uh, that, that people act. People sometimes try to, I don't know, excuse people's awful behavior or excuse the awful behavior of corporations and they'll say, well, that's just the way of the world. Or they'll try to excuse their own behavior. They'll say, okay, well, you know, I cheated on my taxes, but that's just the way of the world. But here's the thing about it. If we're following Jesus, we're not supposed to be following the way of the world. We're following his way which is contrary to the way of the world. If you're a Star Wars fan, then we are the resistance, okay? We are the resistance. We're not following the way of the world. We're not acting like the world acts. We're following Jesus. And when we do that, we will face resistance from the worldly system. We will face hostility. We might even face persecution. And don't think it's strange when that happens. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying the Gospel of John. I hope that you will join us if you haven't been joining us, that you'll join us. And if you've missed one, if you'll go to our website, fumcgadsden.org, you can find uh, the ones that you've missed. But a few weeks ago, we were studying the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus was teaching his disciples in what was his final discourse to them. And he said these words, If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. But you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We will experience Resist. We'll experience trouble if we are actually trying to follow Jesus. Suffering brings us to know Christ in a way. He, it brings us to know Christ in a way that Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 3. When he said, you know, my number one goal used to be uh, to be zealous of all of the law. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. I was highly educated and I was so proud of my heritage but he said you know what my number one goal is now he said this in Philippians 3 10 
My number one goal, Paul says, is I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, and listen to this, in the fellowship of his suffering. In the fellowship of his suffering. There are some things that we cannot see. There are some lessons we cannot learn except through the communion of suffering. Now that's a painful truth, but it's truth nonetheless. Back when I was in college, and I like to say it this way because it's literally true, but it makes me sound even older than I am. Before the turn of the century, when I was in college, I took a class uh, on photography. It was great, I loved it. And we used actual cameras. Uh, and we took pictures with our cameras and not with our cell phones because we didn't have cell phones. And my kids are rolling their eyes and saying, okay, Boomer, but uh, you know, we took actual pictures and we had, here's what we did. We had something called negatives and we took it into a dark room. I want you to think about the imagery of that. Maybe you've done that. And if you haven't done it, it's, it's a tremendous experience. So think about the imagery of that, a negative in a dark room. And we treated the negatives with chemicals and uh, they developed. Are you following me so far? And then we took those developed negatives and we put them in this machine. I mean, don't ask me how it works. They put them in this machine and a light shone through the negative onto a piece of photographic paper. And then you treated that with some more chemicals and you hung it up on a little bit of a line and eventually a picture developed before your eyes. It took a while. But eventually, what the artistry of the photographer took shape in the final product, but not before the negative and not before the dark, you see? So remember when I said that God has a plan for us that includes pain and suffering? God has a plan plan for the pain and suffering and his plan is to take that negative and to take that darkness and to shine his light through it until what develops is what he had in mind for us all along it doesn't feel good we don't like going through it darkness is just darkness negatives are just negatives unless you remember unless you remember that God has a purpose and that God has a, a picture that's going to develop that he had in mind all along, that's the way it works. I don't know about you, but it, it brings hope to my heart to think about that. That's what suffering does. It connects us with Christ. So suffering becomes communion with others. It becomes communion with Christ. But you know what's important? You know what makes all the difference in this? It's our attitude. It's our attitude in the midst of suffering. So I'm going to do a, an experiment here. I want you on a scale of one to five, with five being super important and with one being not important at all, how important is attitude? Show me on your, give me a high five at home. 
If you, how important is attitude? It's a five out of five, isn't it? It's a five out of five. And that's what's so amazing about the story of Job is because here was Job. He was, the Bible says, an upright man. He was blameless. He feared God, and he stayed away from evil. He was admired by everybody. And one day, the accuser, Satan, said to God, you know, it's no wonder that Job is so good because you're paying him to be good. Look at all the stuff he has. If you took away all of that stuff, then he wouldn't be good anymore. And, and so all Job's stuff was taken away. And by his stuff, I mean everything. It was all taken away. The Sabaeans raided and took away all of his donkeys and his, his oxen. A, a, a fiery meteorite came down and burned up all of his sheep. And then all of his children were gathered in the home of the eldest child celebrating a birthday party and a tornado came and hit the house and collapsed the house and killed all of his family, killed all of his children. And the messengers that came and told him about this came one right after another after another. And, and you would expect Job to go outside and to shake his fist at heaven and say, God, I'm mad as... And I'm not going to take this from you. I'm not going to take this from you, God. But what Job actually did was he shaved his head and he tore his clothes and he fell to the ground and he worshiped God saying these words, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The shaving of the head and the tearing of the robe was a symbol of grief and lament, which is a natural, normal human response to loss. Jesus grieved and Jesus lamented and Jesus groaned in his spirit and Jesus cried. We, we see in John chapter 11, verse 35, he wept. We cry and we grieve and we lament we groan and we suffer. But the attitude, right? Here's the attitude Job had. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to imagine, but here's what he said. He said, you know, when I came into this world, I didn't bring anything with me. I came into this world like everybody else, naked and crying. And when I leave this world, I'm not going to take anything with me. My daddy used to say, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it because you can't take it with you when you go, right? <laughs> so I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with, with nothing. And in between everything that I've ever gotten, including my own life, has been a gift from God. It's, it's all been a blessing from God. It all belongs to him, including me. That's what Job's attitude was. That's how he could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. When I think about this year, and, and I look back on 2020, I think about all of the losses, all of the things that are lost. This past week, um, 
um, a wonderful guy, um, a local pastor who was a worship pastor at my friend's church over in Dora, Alabama. Um, if, you, if you met him, you'd love him. His name was Johnny Jordan. He always had a smile on his face. He loved to play the guitar. He loved to lead worship. And he died of COVID, leaving his wife, Kay, and their family behind. That's just one example. People have lost businesses. They've, they've lost a way of life, a sense of normalcy. They've lost confidence, maybe, and in, in a sense of well-being. Just loss after loss after loss. But let's be honest. Was it all a blessing from God in the first place? Was it all a gift from God in the first place? Yes. It was. I think that 2020 has the potential of, of binding us together. We'll all be able to say, hey, you know, you remember, we all lived, we, we lived through 2020, those of us who made it through. We made it. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. And, and maybe we'll look back on 2020 and they'll say, you know what, I, I never was closer to God because I prayed more in 2020 than I ever prayed before. And maybe we'll even look back and say, out of the darkness and out of the negatives, somehow God shone his light through it and a picture developed. We couldn't see it at the time, but now we can see it. And it's an artistry and it's something beautiful that God had in mind the whole time. After months and months of suffering and months of, of talking back and forth with people who were supposed to be his friends and talking back and forth with God, and Job said this at the end of the book in Job 42, verse 5. He said, God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Now I see. I don't know. What will we see after this year? What, what will be the ties that bind us together after this year? It wouldn't be the same if it weren't for the suffering. Um, John Fawcett was a Baptist preacher in England in the 18th century. His parish was in a rural uh, area known as Waynesgate Parish. And in the 18th century in English, in the English countryside, it was, it was very difficult. It was hard. People scratched out a living and, and they lived hand to mouth. And one historian I read about this time said that uh, the people were as poor as Job's turkey. Have y'all ever heard that saying before? Poor as Job's turkey, uh, and that's poor. But John and his wife Mary had four kids, and they, they, they survived, and they did the best that they could there. They did the best they could. They loved their, their people. They loved the people in their parish. And after his hard work and dedication, all of a sudden he got an offer from a much larger church in London. And John and Mary prayed about it, and they agonized over it, and they decided, you know, I think we'll take the offer. 
will take the offer of this church in London. And on his last, to celebrate his last Sunday there in Waynesgate Parish, um, John wrote a hymn. And his hymn went something like this. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Remember that hymn? The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And they sang that song at the end of the, his last Sunday there at that Baptist church. And the last, the last verse in that hymn goes like this. When we asunder part, it gives us inward, what? Pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. And then they sang that. And then John and Mary loaded up all of their belongings on a two-wheel wooden cart. And all of the church gathered around them and they were crying and they were hugging each other and they started to drive off and Mary looked at John and she said John I just don't think I can do this and he looked at her and he said I don't think I can do this either so they stopped and they unloaded their cart and they stayed there in Waynesgate Parish and they ended up being there for 54 years I did mention they were Baptists and not Methodists, didn't I? 54 years. But that hymn, y'all, that hymn is so powerful. It's so true because it is the communion. It is the communion, even the inward pain that binds us together, that binds our hearts together, that enables us to say at the end of it all, like Job did. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, it's the sharing that binds us. And we know it's the sharing of good times and weddings and birthdays and graduations and celebrations and anniversaries. All of that binds us. But it's also the hard times when we think about it. It's the, it's the two widows that get together and talk about how hard it is to go on without their spouse. It's the people who have suffered through chemotherapy and gathered to talk about how hard it was to go through. It's people who've lost a child or a parent or who've gone through war together. And it's us, Lord, here, right here in 2020, it's us. And every time we gather and we remember the suffering that you did for us because you loved us, all of that and with all who follow you all around the world, it binds us together. And blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing that, that hymn in closing. It's number 557, and um, the words are going to be up on the screen, I think. And you can sing with us at home.
but I want to ask you now to stand and join me as we sing 557. Again, I want to remind you about our drive-through communion tonight from 5 to 7 through the portico. And now hear the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit, bind us all together in Christ's name. Amen.